You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Um, Hi. Hey. All right. So I'm starting Happy July. Happy July. Um, I know. I'm already warm. Um, so <laughs> I decided like, okay, after a month of rainbow, where do I go after this? Right. Black and white. So what are your feelings about <laughs> vultures? <laughs> They're cool. That's, uh, vultures. They smell bad. They smell um, bad. That's very the first thing important that comes to, mind. to yeah. the ecosystem. There you go. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not, I do, you know what? I tell you what I don't think of is I don't think of rainbow colors. I think of a lot of blacks and whites. Red. Redhead. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Red, redheads. Yeah. Um, so I feel like vultures get a really bad rap, but they're truly like Victoria was touching on. They have such an amazing job in the animal kingdom, in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're quite literally like the animal kingdom garbage disposal nutrient recyclers on the planet like without them Mm -hmm. it would be insane um so of all the things that they have to digest okay you think of dead things along the road or whatever whenever you see a vulture some some pretty past its prime uh meat yeah uh what do you think is the hardest thing to digest uh bone i would think hair yeah so bones uh, I would agree would be the hardest thing to digest just because of the compact nutrients and just how difficult it is to dissolve them. So let's mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. a vulture that feeds almost exclusively on bones. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is... Oh, boy. <laughs> Kirk, you sound like <laughs> you know what this one is. I do. Go, go on. <laughs> so go on. this particular uh, vulture, it anywhere from 70 to 90% of its diet is bone. Um, it doesn't sound that nutritious, to be honest. It doesn't. It doesn't, does it? Um, so this is the bearded vulture. Uh-huh. Um, traditionally, it's found in Europe, uh, it was just reintroduced into the Alps and it's found in the Pyrenees between Spain and France. It's found in Corsica and Crete in Greece. It's also found in a pretty bigger swath in, um, around the mountains of the Himalayas. I forgot the word for Himalayas for a minute. Um, and they use those mountains to their advantage. Um, these are, Fairly large birds um, uh-huh. with a wingspan of up to nine and a half feet or nine feet, two inches. Ooh, that's they're, large. Wow. They're big birds. Um, it, I, it boggles me 
that's just so large. Um, so they have those that really large wingspan. But what really is interesting, or one of the things that's interesting about um, what is sometimes called the bone eater, um, is they actually, unlike most vultures, which have a bald or like just a skin head, they actually mm-hmm. have a feathered head. Okay. Huh. Because so, they don't eat so much wet flesh? A lot of that is because they don't tend to eat a lot of wet flesh. That's true. Um, but what what else is really cool is not only is it like a feathered head, but they are white feathers. So to give you a little more description, this is this large bird, okay? Like it's um, a little under five feet in length. It's about four and a half feet in length. Um, it's a big bird. And its wings and back are this dark brown. But its uh-huh. chest, neck, and head are a white color. And it gets these colors um, when they reach about four years old. Um now, a lot of pictures that you'll see, they have like a kind of rust-colored chest or a rust-colored head. Um, and that actually okay. is because um, generally where they live, they bathe almost ex- like pretty extensively in water that has a lot of iron oxide. Oh. So it's dyeing oh, sure. their feathers oh, that rusty orange. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, we still don't quite know why exactly they do this it's kind of bizarre um and like spaces where they can't find iron oxide in water their feathers tend to stay white um which is really just fascinating um so generally speaking like bearded vultures they don't hunt live prey that's the whole point of a scavenger um they will uh find bones from like wolves or any other kills that have been left behind after they've a lot of other scavengers have gone by and there's mostly just bones and they're capable uh of swallowing and digesting like um I think a lamb's femur was the size oh wow um and like the width of a sheep's vertebrae. Um, if they're too big, what they'll do is they'll take the bone up. They'll fly up to uh, about 100 meters and they'll drop the bones onto rocky surfaces to shatter them. Oh, man. Yeah. And then wow. they'll eat those bony parts. Um, and it takes a while to master that in order to be able to figure out how to do that. Um, uh because it, it, I guess, like, if you miss, then the bone doesn't break, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you take anything up to 100 meters, it's going to break, I think. And you drop it. <laughs> right. I would I would break. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair to say. You would think you would break. Yeah. So are they, are they getting most of their nutrition from the bony part or from the marrow? They get a lot oh, of it. Um, that's a great question. They get a lot of like the nutrition from the marrow that's left over in those bones. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that is like the primary thing that they get the nutrition from, but that is still mostly bone. 
to give you a little more context too, um, I was looking into uh, like vultures, like stomachs, because vultures are crazy anyway. The bearded vulture, the pH in their stomach acid uh-huh. is one. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that means that they could, they can uh, dissolve bone in twenty four hours. Wow! Wow! So, yikes! What does their poop look like? I don't want to know, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> what a naturalist question! What does their poop look like? So that was her first question: was, What does that poop look like? Or the the mutes, we would say. Right, yeah. the mutes. Uh, I don't know. Um, I didn't look into that because that wasn't a question I was anticipating. <laughs> why not well, come on why it not? should have been i know everything it comes down been. to poop oh, you know that it does it does um so generally speaking like not so much with uh the bearded vulture um but with such a low ph not only are they able to digest bones within 24 hours but they're also able to take other things out of play things like um like a lot of diseases for example um that right. might have befallen that animal uh that they're eating oh sure yeah um for example some of the more uh dangerous bacteria that has been found that um these that vultures in general have been able to be found uh and like digested and decomposed um would be like uh fusobacteria which is a flesh degrading bacteria um there's Mm. also the poisonous clostrida um which also is a pretty uh dangerous um it, well, I mean, it's poisonous. So if you aren't like a vulture or another type of scavenger, it can um, it can make it a really dangerous meal for a lot of other animals. Um, but vultures will mm, go okay. in after decay has already set in. Um, the other thing, the other microbe that has been shown that vultures can take out is... Uh, something that I've talked about actually before, uh, they can take out um, if an animal dies of rabies. They oh. are not necessarily oh, wow. affected oh, yeah. by the rabies virus, and they are effectively taking it out of play. Right. Um, cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of like crazy things that vultures can do, and the bearded vulture, the fact that it lives mostly on bone, is just fascinating and amazing. I could probably spend like an hour just talking about the bearded vulture. Um, I won't because that would be insane. Um, (laughs) But I just want just about everywhere our listeners are, there are vultures. And I want you to just uh, appreciate the duties that the the things that they're doing out in the world for everyone. Um, Taking rabies out, getting rid of carcasses off the road um thank you vultures really cool thank you thank you indeed um so we're gonna take a quick break and when we return it'll be victoria hey 
Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature. See you soon. Hey, we're back. So ever Yay. since I became a homeowner about seven years ago, I've <laughs> I found myself engaged in a war of attrition with various invasive plant species that want to take over my yard. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. Some are just annoying. Um, like plentiful, you know, there are a lot of them, but not too aggressive. The mm-hmm. worst ones by far are definitely the ones that spread underground by their rhizomes. Right. Yeah. Like I just recently figured out that I, oh, I feel so dumb. I have a patch of, I don't know if it's Japanese knotweed, some kind of knotweed. I mm, think the sure. previous owners yeah. planted it as an ornamental. Yeah. Crazy. I, Terrible. The leaves looked a little different, so I didn't recognize it anyway. I felt really dumb. I just anyway. figured it out. Now I have to deal with that. That's not a fun one to deal with. No. Anyway, it got me thinking about invasive species versus native species. Mm -hmm. And of course, every invasive species is native to some place. Right. You know, the invasive species in North America come from, you know, all over. A lot of them come from Eurasia. Mm -hmm. But, you know, although most Americans don't necessarily think about it of course there are american species that have become invasive <laughs> in other parts of the world right and yes, there are. today uh-huh. i want to talk about some of them <gasps> Ooh, awesome i am I very it. intrigued it's such a cool yes. topic yeah I, I can think of a couple but i'm super curious which ones you came up with well right? it's a it's a huge list of course it would be impossible to talk about right. all of them so i am just picking a few common species that people will have heard of but probably never thought about in this way so first right. I'm going to talk about goldenrod. Oh, okay. yeah. It's a okay. beautiful golden-flowered fall, fall plant. You see it in prairies and roadsides all over. It's incredibly mm-hmm. effective at spreading. It's wind, uh, wind-blown, little sort of fluffy seeds, kind of like dandelion seeds. And yeah. it has done that to really bad effect in many parts of Europe and Asia. In fact, it's such a problem that it's threatening a lot of native plant and insect species in places where it's spreading. And wow. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's really, it's threatening some species with its extinction in China, various parts of Europe. That's what makes sense. It's a very, uh, even in this country, I mean, it's a very, I guess, some people say aggressive species. Yeah. Aggressive, yeah. There are several goldenrod species that have become invaders. Uh, apparently, Canada goldenrod seems to be mm. an especially big problem. Mm-hmm. Not surprising. Yeah, not surprising. Uh, next up, raccoons. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Kirk, <laughs> you gave us a whole episode about those adorable trash pandas. Um, Hold on. Yes, the trash raccoons pandas. are invasive species. Yes. Oh, I yeah. did not know this. <laughs> you can oh. probably imagine them causing I problems think... wherever they go. Well, yeah, yeah, I can. They are I can. really, really smart. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, they were actually deliberately released into a lot of places in Europe in the 20th century. Stop. Oh. To uh, establish a fur trapping population. Oh, oh no. It's not the best Viral. fur. Yeah. It's, just, it's really on. not. It's really kind of wiry. They're like, ooh, what a nice raccoon coat you have there. Mm. Yeah, that it's was popular that, for was a while, I guess. Well, first the, the hats a long time ago. The and raccoon coats hat. were, yeah. I think, popular in like the Edwardian era or something. Mm-hmm. Well, often furs are not, they are processed mm-hmm. and not worn as like a, yeah. you know, thing like, a beaver, like a beaver hat is not a big furry hat. It's like a felt hat. Like you can make felt out of furs. So. Right. But Maybe how cool like would a big furry hat like that be? We'll get you one, Rachel. Me, we'll I want to see. see Rachel wearing a trash panda hat. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Okay. So there's a, there's a large population in Germany where I, I speak German and I just love the German name for raccoon. It's called a wash bear. Wash bear. It's a wash bear. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Wash bear. It's because they wash their hands. And their food. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, they, they kind of do, kind of don't, but yeah. Yeah. It looks like they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're established in various other places in Europe, too, and it seems to be their... I mean, I'm sure they're getting into garbage cans and stuff, but they seem to be largely <laughs> seen as a, a problem because they're a disease vector. Ah, yes. For right, some different, right. like, parasitic diseases. There's also a large and prob- problematic population in Japan... They oh, cause yeah. a lot of damage okay. to crops and wildlife. And even there's a historic temple in Kyoto where they apparently oh, took no. up residence in the attic and then just proceeded to scratch the heck out of the place uh, with their claws, Yikes. all of this ancient wood and poop everywhere. That's not the good. Reason, oh, raccoon poop is the worst. It is. It's oh, really it always bad. smells so bad, too. Ugh. Very sticky. Um. The reason they're in Japan is just a little too on the nose. There was an incredibly popular anime TV show in 1977 mm. called Rascal the Raccoon. Uh-huh. You can probably yeah. guess what happened. Everybody everyone wanted, wanted Yep, everyone raccoon wanted a cute pet. baby raccoon for a pet. Mm. And you know what happens when your cute baby raccoon grows up? It's a hissing, scratching, biting nightmare. Yep. Uh, they're and not then, good pets. Yeah, nope. No. Terrible. People just release them into the wild. And there you go. Yeah. Hey, fun note. If you yeah. get a pet, you have to take care of that pet. If you cannot, you need to find a responsible home for it. It will it is not good to release your cats or dogs what? or goldfish. Or bullfrogs or goldfish. Oh gosh, not goldfish. Any of those things should find new homes. They should not be released into the wild where they can cause problems. Thank you for your PSA, you, Rachel. Anytime. Can you personally send that message on to the people who keep dumping cats in the woods where I work? Really? Again? They release them into the wild when all that happens is they get eaten by coyotes. So stop doing that. Yep. But it's natural, or Kirk. Just die of starvation. Yeah, and then I'm hiking with preschoolers, and we find the remains of dead cats. It's really um, educational. Mm. Anywho, yeah. Uh, next, next species: uh, largemouth bass. Oh, 
Yeah. Really? They're a popular huh. fish in North huh. America. They're large. They're tasty. They're fun to fish. I've been told. Yep. I'm not a, not a fisher person myself, really. Uh, these qualities made people think that it would be a great idea to introduce them as a game fish to various places. <sighs> <sighs> Big sigh. Yeah. Back with Unfortunately, the goldfish, they're just, it's the same kind of thing, but out. Yeah. But, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. They're incredibly voracious and have outcompeted uh-huh. and or eaten up many other <laughs> species of fish, amphibians, oh, and birds, some to the point of extinction. Mm. Uh, case in point, there was a bird called the Atitlan grebe. It was an endemic water bird of one particular high-altitude lake in Guatemala, and its extinction is largely traced to the introduction of largemouth bass in the mid-20th century. Uh, so there you go. That's rough. Yeah. Finally, my last, uh, my last invasive species of this episode is going to be the eastern gray squirrel. Yes, I was hoping you'd go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, okay. I yeah. will say, it, like, I think I'm pretty sure I saw them in Europe, and I'm like, huh, they're here too. Yep. Yeah, you did. Okay. They are now. It oh, is okay. obviously a ubiquitous mammal in cities and suburbs throughout North America and now mm-hmm. causes problems on other continents as well. Oh, the English. Oh, good. The English. There was apparently an English banker in 1876 who thought it would be just so charming to bring back a pair to ornament his garden. Oh, no. And he started a trend, <laughs> ornamental uh-huh. squirrels. Uh, oh. Of course, they escaped. Get those plaster instead, maybe. Yeah. <sighs> there were many more deliberate mm-hmm. and accidental releases throughout Europe, um, and it's yeah. it's become a big problem, especially in the UK and Ireland, mm-hmm. because they just they are so much better at squirreling than the native red squirrel. Ah, they outcompete right. them basically on every metric, and yeah. there are almost no local predators that will eat them. So they've. They've almost Boy. kicked out the red squirrels from the British Isles. Oof. This episode Ouch. should be titled, How Many Times Can We Sigh in One Segment? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Let's call it wah wah. <laughs> Did you have anything you wanted to add about the squirrel, Kirk? No, just uh, it's, uh, we think of them as like such a North American thing. And these other, mm-hmm. you know, like you're saying, these other sort of, these things coming from another part of the world that kind of wreak havoc here. And you mm-hmm. don't think about like the squirrel, what could be more like part of a forest than a squirrel, you know, right. it's just so, so it natural. And on then the it's species like, of squirrel. Yeah. Please, yeah. please take your gray squirrels and go home. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, I find it interesting though, because, um, at least over in North America, I see like gray squirrels and red squirrels like duking it out. And I feel like the red squirrels around here at least tend to be more ferocious. I don't sure. know. Oh, yeah. I they'll they'll like they kick can... the they'll kick the gray squirrels butt every time. Different yeah. different kind of red squirrel co-evolved, obviously. Ah, so got it. Their their sort of Napoleon complex uh, is an evolved <laughs> response to evolving alongside gray squirrels yeah. and fox squirrels, probably. Ooh. Oh. Okay. See, so the obvious sense. solution is we need to take our red squirrels no. and give those no, to Kirk. the UK as well. No. Great idea. No. Let's do that. No. <laughs> 
now. All right. So that was my amusing yet depressing little trip through <laughs> several problematic species of our you're continent. Always good. You're always, always, always good for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to talk about. I know I have my niche. some invasive species <laughs> on my list, but yeah. Well, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, Kirk will have something to delight our ears. Yes, I do. Yes, I will. Okay, so this week, I have some news for you, and I, and I know this lit up my news feed, and I'm pretty sure it was on your radar as well, so I wanted to try to sneak it in before okay. anyone else could do this story. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Breaking news... Bees are fish. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You heard about this? You know what? Yeah. I actually, after you texted about it, I avoided mm-hmm. reading any of the news stories because I wanted <laughs> oh, to be God. surprised. God. I've seen the headline. I, I know so, that bees are fish, but I do not know why. I, yeah, I was got like, sent I called dibs multiple times. And yeah. so I, I was curious enough that I did read through that particular article. It, oh, All right, please so go on. <laughs> he, he, here's the takeaway. Um, legally, in California, bees can now be classified as a type of fish. <laughs> or at least that's sort of the, you know, the simplified version that's out there. Um, so here's the story. Uh, a California court ruled this past month that under certain circumstances, so not all circumstances, but in certain <laughs> circumstances, bees can legally legally be considered fish. Uh, and you would be right to ask, what is going on in California? And in the words of Stanley Hudson, have you all lost your damn minds? <laughs> so, uh, What are they smoking it, out there? Well, that's, that's a different court ruling, Victoria. Um, <laughs> so what it all has to do with basically the California Endangered Species Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to the language taken right from the bill, uh, it was designed to protect, quote, native species or subspecies of bird, mammal, fish, amphibian, reptile, or plant. Now, can you see a problem here? Yeah. There's Something's no mis- Something's missing. <laughs> well, yeah. Or invertebrates? not... Yeah, invertebrates. So the act did not specify that it could be used to protect an invertebrate. And there are lots of invertebrates that people want to protect. So mm-hmm. uh, the notable species in question at this particular juncture uh, was actually four species on bumblebee. And you know, as we all know, bumblebees are kind of hurting globally right now. Mm-hmm. Um, two of these four have pretty normal names. There's the Franklin bumblebee mm-hmm. and the Western bumblebee. Mm-hmm. But the other two... Oh, man. Okay, so we have the... <laughs> Suckly cuckoo bumblebee, uh, which uh-huh. is, is just fun to say. Uh-huh. Um, and I also saw some sources calling the fourth one the crotch bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds um, rather unpleasant to have, a, you know, so in that case, the, the crotch bumblebees. Uh, but really, I think this is actually is kind of sweaty. Please no, let it be a sweat no. bee. <laughs> it's not. No, it's a bumblebee. No, it's a bumblebee. Oh, um, yeah. but that would be so um, good, though. Here's the deal, though. It, it was named after entomologist George Robert Crotch. So technically, it should be Crotch's 
Bumblebee, <laughs> uh, which That's is almost worse. very slightly better. Is I it? think you think it's maybe worse. I th- uh, but yeah, some sources I said I read said it was poor, cro- poor the, man. the crotch bumblebee, and I'm like, I don't think that's. I don't. I think it's called crotch's bumblebee, but okay. Oh, so that poor man. Getting past that, <laughs> of note, uh, invertebrates are not just insects, right? There's lots of things that are classified as invertebrates, like mussels, clams, Crawfish. all the crustaceans, all the cephalopods. Yeah, there's a whole lot of animals that are seemingly not covered by the original list of bird, mammal, fish, amphibian, reptile, or plant. Mm-hmm. It turns out, though, that while the legislators who wrote uh, the law kind of sucked at biology, they were not completely yeah. incompetent because, weirdly, <laughs> very, very weirdly, yep. the law goes into great detail describing what they mean by the word fish. And here is what fish means <laughs> as defined by the law. Quote, a wild fish, mollusk, crustacean, invertebrate, amphibian, part, spawn, or ovum of any of these animals, end quote. So Mm -hmm. that's a pretty (laughs) weird definition of fish, but, well, okay, the law is is what it is. I mean, I mentioned this, but didn't you hear there's no such thing as a fish? That yeah, that yeah. that is true as well. I have heard that. Yeah. Uh, and and and, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm kind of going to get back to that actually. So, um, given that the law defines fish as including all invertebrates, mm-hmm. that means that legally a bumblebee or an ant or a squid or a worm is technically a fish and able to be protected under the California Endangered Species Act. There was actually <laughs> some legal wrangling back and forth because some mm-hmm. people were insisting that fish could only refer to aquatic invertebrates. Well, maybe uh, that's what the law's writers meant, but that's not what they said. And that's that's the thing. It became like the intent of the law versus how it was written. And there was a lot of legal wrangling back and forth on that. And what uh, finally, you know, the courts weighed in on it and they decided that the law says what the law says. It says invertebrates. It doesn't say aquatic invertebrates. And if that's what they intended, then they had to have said that. So therefore, um, they can now... Uh, protect legally bumblebees under the California Endangered Species Act, which is pretty oh, pretty cool. That is good. So that's the whole that's the whole story. There isn't much to it, but it did remind me of two other similar situations, sort of historically. It turns out people have had a hard time defining where to draw the lines around different groups of animals for a really long time. Uh, yeah. One that comes up, came to mind right away was going all the way back to the Bible uh, in Leviticus 11. There's a long list of birds that are unclean that people should not eat. Uh-huh. And the list of birds includes bats, which yeah. are famously not birds. They if are it flies, mammals, it's right? a bird. Yeah. If it swims, it's a fish, basically, in the Bible. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, and, and that, that, that distinction of like animals of the, the, the sky and animals of the water is mm-hmm. very, very common, very common. Um, so more recently, we have the strange notion as well that beavers and muskrats are fish, mm. which kind of goes to what you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I initially remembered hearing a story that um, Catholics during the time of the fur trade era got permission to call beavers fish so they could eat them on Fridays during yeah. Lent. And I mean, Amazing. I, I think kind of see what they're going for there they uh-huh. see the water they have they do have scales kind of like on their yeah. tail you know sort of, so like maybe. yeah <laughs> uh, i mean so if we can call I think bats they just birds, wanted we can to call eat beavers meat. fish well it, that's exactly what it was i did some <laughs> digging on this and it turns out 
there have long been debates, uh, specifically by Catholics, as to what you can and can't eat during Lent. And to be clear, mm-hmm. like none of it makes any sense to me whatsoever. So I have trouble wrapping my brain around it. But apparently, um, while modern Catholics are often obsessed with the idea of fish versus beef, the more mm-hmm. traditional divide was, like uh, Victoria said, between animals of land and animals of water. So right. in many areas, muskrats and beavers have been traditionally eaten on Fridays as part of Lent. Uh, And Mm -hmm. this goes all the way back to the medieval period and continues to this day. I actually found uh, an article about a barbecue, a barbecue restaurant that found that people were not coming on Fridays. And so they started serving um, barbecue beaver on Fridays uh, during Lent. And it was quite popular. Where is this restaurant? It's still going on to this day. It's in, in... in St. Louis is where it was. Makes sense. Uh, so uh, if, we, if we have learned anything today, uh, it's that a lot of people were not paying attention in biology class. Or <laughs> no. to be fair, to be fair, <laughs> millions of people have lived before our modern study of animal classification. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of goes to the whole thing, the idea of like no such thing as a fish is that uh, even the things we in a modern time call fish uh, are not particularly genetically closely related. Yeah. Right. Things that happen to be in the water. Uh, so to some people, muskrats are fish and fish are bumblebees. So if my logic works out, I think that means that bumblebees are muskrats. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that works out. So I don't know. Yeah. I probably should have paid more attention in biology class. Uh, my sources it, it, this week yeah. uh, included <laughs> uh, CNN and NPR. So uh, uh. thank you to them. And I hope you guys enjoyed this bizarre story about bees being fish. Oh my gosh. Yes. That, yes. Oh, I read that, that article. It was just so, I was like, I'm sorry. What? Because I got sent it like three times and I finally had to like read it. And it's just like, okay, that makes sense. I understand. I understand. Logically, and look, you, you would take- change the law maybe but that takes too much time and effort so we'll just do that this way (laughs) yeah i I think it's you know when you look at it you go oh this is just a story about you know interpreting language in laws and clearly you know it says invertebrates are is is included and they they kind of included it with fish as opposed to Mm -hmm. including it further up so who cares but i mean come on bees are now legally fish that's that's I can't say bonkers. That. That's, that's bonkers and awesome. Thank you, California. Thank to you. Headline writers. Everywhere. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, so Absolutely. Much. <laughs> and, and two podcasters. Oh, Thank so you. Good. Thank you, California. Oh. We love you. That's, you know, that's all we have yeah. this week, right? Yeah. 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 One, two, three. That's all of us. Perfect. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Thank you for listening. Did it. Uh, we'll and, see you next uh, week. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm both excited and scared for next week. Well, same. Oh, boy. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.